When the lights go out, will the Greeks want their torch back? There's Jubilee be a new gig for Aaron Barshak. We've got a really easy question to start off this episode with, Ollie. It's from Rebecca from Manchester who says, Answer me this. Will you wish my boyfriend John a happy 30th birthday? <laughs> no. It was on Sunday. No. 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 So cruel. No one listening cares, do they, about John's birthday? Rebecca does. It's but like then that... we have a bigger audience than John and exactly. Rebecca. Exactly. That's why we don't do birthday shouts, because it's not just about you. Is it, there's this thing that they do. Have you seen Live With on Channel 5? No. It's a daytime show. They have a different host every day. The day I saw it, it was Miley in class hosting. They have this thing where they have a picture frame on the desk. Mm. Your child can be in the picture frame. I don't have a child. Exactly. So I don't have a child either. So I'm watching, thinking, well, my cat can't be in the picture frame. So why wh- not? Why can't Coco be in the picture frame? <laughs> when will there be equality for felines on daytime TV? And so you call up and you say, Bradley's going to be four years old. Can he be in the photo frame today, please, Mylene? And then Mylene says, it's Bradley's fourth birthday. Here's a picture of Bradley. Ah. And the whole audience goes, ah. And then they all clap. And everyone at home is just thinking, so fucking what? And then, the, the, and then after that... I bet that, they're not. I bet there are people going, oh, Bradley's cute. I'll steal him if I see him at the supermarket. Yeah, okay, maybe it's for crazy, deranged elderly women. Well, like a lot of daytime television. (laughs) Yeah. The thing that I just find weird is Bradley's not watching. He's four years old. The next item's going to be how to cook after the menopause. He's not interested. He might think, what am I going to do when I go through the male menopause? (laughs) How will I feed myself? Anyway, yeah, whatever. Happy birthday, John. Although we are asked a lot, we have a policy of not doing a shout out unless it is accompanied with a question that we wish to answer. And in this case, it is because Rebecca says, I bought John the Answer Me This book and the first 10 episodes for his birthday present. Oh, well, my attitude to you has changed entirely. Cha-ching! Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah, although maybe you'd have been better to start on episode 30. She says, I put the downloaded MP3s on a CD. Very creative. Designed a cover. Very creative. And went to a photography store to have it printed. Now that's just ridiculous. Why couldn't you just print it at home or just do something with pencil and pen? When I got home, I discovered that I had been given someone else's photos. This got me thinking. Ollie, answer me this. What is the strangest thing you've ever received by mistake? And did you keep it? Um, Every year I get sent a round-robin letter at Christmas. Oh, lucky! a family in Canada who I've never met before and who are obviously intending the recipient to be someone else. What, someone who lived in your flat before you? Yeah, but not the guy that I bought the flat from that I have a forwarding address for. Oh, so they could have been doing this for 30 years. Yeah, and I know know listeners that what I should do is write to the address in Canada, although that would cost me money. Exactly expensive. Write to the address in Canada and say, Elizabeth Peters, or whoever it's addressed to, doesn't live here anymore. She's dead! Um, (laughs) She's like, oh no! She found your round robin so boring she jumped off the nearest skyscraper. But I actually am sort of into the story now. What happens next? Well, yeah. So annoying. I want to know, is Simon going to still be working in the local nursing home next year? Did they manage to sell the holiday cabin at the lake? (laughs) The people I know that do round robins to my parents, they seem to have a really tragic life. But the tonal shifts are incredible because it'd be like, unfortunately, Robert's leukaemia has returned but we had a wonderful holiday in France <laughs> at the same old place. Yeah. My tapestry hobby is really going great guns. I have not recovered from my depression, though. <laughs> the best example I've heard of this kind of thing, actually, someone being given something that they weren't expecting. Presumably what... wasn't intended for them either. Yeah, one of our listeners uh, told us that uh, their husband or partner, whoever it was, uh, got them a classic edition of a novel they liked from an antique store. Mm. And when they opened it inside, there was a map of Nazi Germany. That's a freebie. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's extraordinary. I think things in in old books are a different category. I mean, this, she has got the wrong photos. Presumably somebody has her homemade 
answer me this episodes one to ten cover Ooh, someone who's and, expecting pictures of their holiday in ibiza as well where are my wedding photos <laughs> who are these mingers uh, well uh from our back catalogue to a question about another comedy show that trots out the same old shit week after week it's from phil from billericke who says my as levels start this week I am so glad I'm not at school, by the way. Just want to put that in there. And I've developed sinusitis, a throat infection, and conjunctivitis. Show off. Uh, as a result, I've been in bed, says Phil, watching back-to-back Keeping Up Appearances on Netflix, rather than revising as much as I usually would. Are you trying not to get better? <laughs> Netflix don't really push Keeping Up Appearances, do they, in their campaign literature? There's a lot of photos of Russell Crowe, there's a lot of photos of Johnny Depp on the tube, I haven't seen one of Patricia Outledge. Phil says, Helen, answer me this, how the hell did the makers of Keeping Up Appearances stretch it to 44 episodes? <laughs> uh, every single one is a slight reorder of the previous one. Just like life. Uh, the format is always the same. Like on the Today programme on Radio 4. Don't get me wrong i love keeping up appearances i just can't understand how the bbc thought it was more worthwhile producing five series of that show than just rerunning it well they would have gone longer actually except patricia rootledge didn't want to do anymore yeah she thought she'd be known forever as hyacinth bouquet which she has been although in my mind's eye the set is that of keeping up appearances she is doing alan bennett monologues so those two yes. things are conflated. <laughs> of course, Keeping Up Appearances was written by Roy Clark, mm. who's the guy who wrote all 31 series of Last of the Summer Wine. Oh, God, which I've never seen, but I feel like I have. I, you know, it's a cliche, and I'm not the first to say it, but it's true that every time you see five minutes of Last of the Summer Wine, it is compo in a tin bath on a hill. It's almost like um, one of those Greek myths where someone does something bad, so they're condemned to be pecked to death by birds forever. Yeah. Like, they never die of mm. it, but they're always being pecked to death. Are you comparing compo to Prometheus? <laughs> and also, there are so many sitcoms, particularly of certain eras, that are as uh, Phil says regurgitating the same formula the same characters the same catchphrases I mean how varied was One Foot in the Grave I'd like to point to a counterfactual though the kind of basic formula of Red Dwarf is you've got a bunch of isolated people way in the future and humanity's died out and so it's just them talking rubbish and for the first few seasons it's incredibly funny when they started using the science fiction context to its full it went a bit shit well, mm. I, I wonder if that's because at the end of the day, what the English like their sitcoms to be about really is people's aspirations getting crushed and the class system. <laughs> um, however you try and explore that in whatever position you put it, basically, that's what it comes back to. And that's what Keeping Up Appearances is very good at. I mean, it is the ultimate kind of class sitcom of our age, isn't it? Yeah. Working class girl, wants to be upper class, lives in a middle class area. And that's what all the humour comes from, which mm. makes me think it wouldn't translate at all but it's massive in america keeping up appearances Good God. it's one of the big shows on pbs and when they do fundraising drives in the states they use keeping up appearances as the leverage for why you should donate money so you can get more quality content like this 20 year old slightly unfunny british sitcom hello helen and ollie it's daniel and john in edinburgh helen answer me this why are basket cases people who are a bit crazy it's quite an unpleasant route actually the origin of basket case and it originally meant uh, soldiers who had lost all of their limbs and oh, therefore God. had to be carried in a basket yeah except they apparently never were carried in baskets it was just that that was the handy reference for a multiple right. amputee yeah and then it mm. kind of i suppose it mean people who were incapacitated uh, by mental disorder as well as physical which i guess could count for a lot of soldiers yes yeah. so know, a shell shock post-traumatic stress disorder is ruinous yeah 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 that makes perfect sense yeah. and not funny but no, very interesting it's not a bit end game isn't it here's a question from anish in munich who says I'm currently on a work secondment in Munich, which, as I'm sure you know, is a big beer drinking town. Yes, even my limited knowledge of geography has stretched that far. 
Ollie, answer me this. Would it be legal for children to drink non-alcoholic beer? Only if it's genuinely zero alcohol. Because a lot of them have got a trace, haven't they? Exactly. Most Mm. low-alcohol beers are called low-alcohol rather than no-alcohol because they do have, I think it's 0.05% of alcohol. So you're not going to get pissed on it, but it's actually technically illegal to sell it to children. Children are only allowed technically to buy completely alcohol-free beer, uh, of Mm. which there are very few brands, and they're not really on sale in places like supermarkets because they don't actually want to encourage children to be getting a taste for beer. Mm. Well, also, I'd be surprised if little kids like the taste of beer because children tend not to like bitter tastes. Yeah. But you'd have thought as well that if you were giving a child a beverage that looked like beer... Mm you would get into trouble. Where do you draw the line? Because you get you know, candy cigarettes, wine gums. Yes. You know, if you're selling things that are based around the fact that they taste or look a bit like alcohol anyway, that's the distinction that's being made, not whether it's actually got 0.5 content or not. You can even get those liquid sweets that come in a syringe that you squirt into your mouth. Can what you? kind of example mm. is that setting? That is outrageous. I wonder if anyone's ever injected that directly into their bloodstream. Yeah, probably. Well, that'd probably kill you, wouldn't it? Yeah, probably. Not like delicious heroin. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a question. Email your question to answer me this podcast at googlemail.com 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 Here's a question from Anna Lotta from Malmo in Sweden, who says, Helen, answer me this. Why do people always bring grapes to the hospital in British films and TV? Because <laughs> the grapes have been in a very bad accident and they need surgery. <laughs> yeah. No? Um, it's shorthand, that, isn't it? What, for I'm visiting a sick person, they're a sick person. Exactly. It's like, it's like if you have a dinner party scene, someone turns up with a bottle of wine in their hand, you know that means... I'm going to a dinner party. You know that the wine isn't a crucial plot point. It's just a prop. Grapes are very common hospital food, aren't they? Where is that? I suppose because, A, they're full of vitamins. B, they're very soft, easy for an invalid to ingest. That's what I always thought. C, very easy to swallow because they're just water. But there is also uh, another reason why grapes, as a gift for the sick, uh, is such a common trope. Because there was a famous cranky health method called the grape cure, which uh, my father used to do, in fact, because he loves cranky health things that have very scanty scientific basis. (laughs) This was uh, popularised by Joanna Brandt, who was a naturopath from South Africa, and uh, she believed that grapes essentially cured everything. So if you had a tumour, they would melt it away, they would knit your broken bones, they would solve all your gastric troubles. So, of course, my dad believed this for about six weeks until he got sick of grapes and his teeth started getting rotted away by the acid. (laughs) So I think once that idea had taken hold, uh, it took quite a long time for anti-propaganda to exist about the grape cure. I wonder, though, if there are circumstances under which you're not allowed to bring grapes because they're, mm. presumably there are wards where you can't bring any food at all actually bringing quite a lot of things is frowned upon in hospitals my mum was in hospital for a lot of last summer and um you're not allowed to bring flowers there's a blanket ban on no. flowers they get in the way there's very very little space very few flat surfaces they're moving the patients around from room to room quite a lot as mm. well i think that's a shame that you can't have a little bit of ornamentation in your in your hospital room if you're gonna be there for weeks and weeks and weeks i know but nurses are already very overstretched and them changing flower water is a job too far mm. well, if they're changing bedpans flower water would seem like a relatively uh, nice... Uh, or why not combine the two patient. jobs? <laughs> Get the patient to pee straight into the, uh, the flower vase. Well, I can think of several reasons why yes, not. So can I. I think we all can. Well, as if nurses didn't have enough to worry about, uh, here's this question from Nick from Colorado who says, Ollie, answer me this. Why do nurses make such regular appearances in the fantasies of straight men? 
I'm not sure where I got wind of this fact, as I don't watch heterosexual pornography, but there seems to be a consensus that fucking nurses is desirable. <laughs> nurses are people who help you shit and deal with the sick and the dying and are probably covered in a thin layer of awful at all times. This surely kills my boner. Well, yeah, but... It's a fantasy, isn't it? It's not about real nurses, really. Pornography tends not to be that accurate about the minutiae of life and jobs. It's not a fly-on-the-wall documentary. No, although, interestingly, of course, in this age of user-generated pornography 2.0, there probably is real-life nurse porn out there somewhere, because Mm. people are filming themselves at it anyway, aren't they, in all kinds of walks of life. So probably there is, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the sexy nurse stereotype. Yeah. It's Madonna Whore complex, basically, isn't it? Right. Here's a woman who's going to look after you, but you can also have her. She wants it, really, but also she's going to help you. She'll wipe your bum, she'll wank you off. Exactly. It's lazy, isn't it? Yeah. It's men who mm. want a fantasy of a woman who's just going to do it for them. They don't really have to try because she's there anyway. And I suppose, as well, uh, the nurses are very familiar with every horrible facet of the human body, so maybe people think this means no matter what disgusting sexual practice yeah, I introduced right. to her, she's going to be okay with My it. Because, weird foreskin isn't going to turn yeah, her off. It's yeah. not like when she has to give old people sponge baths <laughs> on, on their testicles. It's, it's also a very easy story to convert into a fantasy, isn't it? You know, you're sort of lying in bed already. Mm. There's a pretty lady leaning over you to take your temperature, so there's boobs involved. Theory, do you think it also stems from children having formative sexual experiences when they're playing doctor and nurse? Yes, or at the hands of nanny, if you're talking oh, about sort of Prince yeah, Charles possible. Man. I think maybe it comes out of the First World War, where you had men coming back from France and trenches who hadn't seen women for months and months and months mm. who then suddenly women had been liberated and were allowed to have jobs and they were all nurses suddenly there were loads so of women they weren't who... all nurses no, no, but, okay I'll rephrase that all of the nurses were women where's all the governess porn <laughs> <laughs> but you see what I mean like suddenly they were in the hands of these pretty and glamorous women who came from all different classes of society they've got very unglamorous no, but job. as a fantasy like obviously not all oh. women are pretty and glamorous but if you're talking about fantasy roles which this is I, I can see how the nurse then became someone who got yeah. a little bit sexualized. such a stupid fantasy <laughs> I mean, nurses, I have great admiration for their wonderful work, but as I said before, they have enough to worry about. Leave them alone. And I bet they have to slap away a lot of wandering yeah, hands as well in the course of their work. I, I, when I was a, a medical physicist, I worked with a lot of nurses and I did not wa- want to touch any of their bumps. What do you want? A certificate? Yeah, I want my medal. <laughs> He's got a sub-question as well. He says, Ollie, what is the most commonly used profession that pornographers have portrayed? My guess would be a delivery man. Mm, pizza. Yeah, well, it's certainly a not pizza. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Hello, dear. I've covered myself in cheese and pepperoni. Stick it in <laughs> mozzarella um, balls. <laughs> um, it's certainly not coal miner, is it? Let's put it that way. Um, I think there are certain professions. So, diplomats. <laughs> there are certain. Well, actually, I mean, ones where you're in a position of power that can be abused. So, for example, you're the boss for the male role. That's often mm. quite Teacher, common. Teacher, professor. Teacher, cop. Schoolgirl. Exactly. Schoolgirl counting as a profession for the women. Yes, exactly. The people who be in that situation. So Secretary. Does that count, though? That's not a job. Oh, it Dominatrix is a job for is some. Not, It's not a job you'd put on your passport, is it? That's all I'm saying. Well, I wouldn't, because it'd be deceitful. Yeah. It's not my job. Taxi driver, maybe? Really? Well, because... Or like Travis Bickle. <laughs> but there's a lot of porn... Or Andy Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> Send a question to the question line. Inquiries are wanted as a part of the plan. Holla Helen or Holly or Martin the Sound Man. Here's a question from Ellie from Bangor in Northern Ireland, who says, Helen, answer me this. How do doctors 
figure out a body's time of death because I've just stabbed my mother through the heart and I want to make it look like my sister did it. <laughs> Wrap her up warm, then it will seem like the rigor mortis hasn't set in until later <laughs> and you can be well away. Yeah, not really. She didn't really say that last bit. That I made probably that up. would help. Um, she says, I was watching Miss Marple and wondered how those village doctors determined a murdered corpse's time of death seemingly quite quickly and precisely. Uh, E.g., this person was murdered between 11.30 and midnight. How well, do they know? Well, it's been in the script. <laughs> true enough they just flick back a few pages and like well they were alive then so stands to reason they died at tea time yeah pages about a minute isn't it so 30 pages back uh helen answered me this are such things more accurate now yes. do coroners use the same techniques do they use a meat thermometer well probably something similar because the temperature of the body is the, i suppose the first thing they look at because apparently a body's temperature in normal circumstances, I guess, drops about 0.8 Kelvin per hour after mm-hmm. death. And um, it does vary as to the size of the body and the atmospheric temperatures, if it's uh, warm or cold out, etc. And then um, rigor mortis sets in. Mm-hmm. So if it hasn't set in yet, then they can tell the body is a, a good fresh corpse. But that's usually between half an hour and three hours after death. Mm-hmm. And it spreads from the eyelids and the jaw to the rest of the body. So I guess if just your face was stiff, they would know right. that you were still quite fresh. And then your eyeballs become a bit more squidgy. Right. Yeah, which grosses me out a bit. And that's after about three hours. And then there's lividity as your blood sort of stops being pumped around the body by your heart and just settles at your lowest point. After a couple of days, your skin turns green because bacteria breed on it. Yeah. The thing, I, and then and then insects come and lay yeah, eggs yeah, in you and that, decompose you. But that so never happens ways. in Miss Marple, does it? It's not like a green, furry, festering yeah. body with insect shit on it. And they go, yeah, yeah about half an hour, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah, everyone knows that bit. I think it's the bit where it's that precise thing of is it 30 minutes or is it four hours that yeah. people are impressed by? Well, it? often it's it's a point where they haven't got it right, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, well, we thought it was before dinner because we heard her bell ring. Uh, yes. But actually it was after dinner because they rigged up an elaborate system of furnishings and balloons Um, (laughs) it is more accurate now and I guess people are trained a bit better as well like the body farm people that go and look at the grubs and uh, how they lay in corpses Mm. well so they should be better trained better trained than a fictional village doctor (laughs) at a murder scene obviously it's very important to establish time of death because you're trying to work out who done it no it's very important to look between the parlour maid's fingers and see if she's secreting the corner (laughs) of a very important note that is a vital clue I don't know whether it's a a myth but I heard the story that uh, in the Victorian times um, they used to think that captured in the eye, eyes of, the, of a murder victim was the image of the murderer like it, was, was, was the last thing they saw and so if they'd been murdered they would have an image of the murderer on their, on their eyes but what they're going to have if you peel the eyelid back is uh, the coroner reflected in the milky film that's... <laughs> oh my god it was me okay I'm going to have to oh, I'm, again I'm going to have to fake this up and say it was six, six hours older than it was sort of like an early version of looking through someone's browsing history isn't it <laughs> seeing who they've been stalking oh yeah yeah, yeah. that would be awful if you could look in someone's eyes and see all the things they'd seen <laughs> Oh, I would hate that. Like that when Suki in True Blood can hear what people are thinking. Oh, mm. Imagine selectively. Yes, very selectively. Yeah, she never says, does she, in the context of another scene? What I've already eaten. She never says that. It's yeah. only when there's drama to be had from it. Yeah. Yeah. But um, <laughs> I already feel there's too much information in the world, and I'm overwhelmed by it. Yeah. So would you hate more to have that gift, or for someone to have that gift and to be able Everyone, to read your mind? What about yeah, for my girlfriend to have that gift and to know what I'm thinking? Oh, all the time? Well, that's all right because you have fairly innocent thoughts, right? I don't. No, I have, I have horrible thoughts. <laughs> I have a dark passenger, Helen. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, I've got one of those faces that people think all the time that I'm thinking something far more deep than I am I've when never I'm looking at them. That. <laughs> I know because you know the truth. Because usually you, you're smiling. 
looking as if you're looking at Mickey Mouse because, doing a dance. <laughs> because you are the Sookie Stackhouse of this podcast, Helen. But other people, they think that I'm looking kind of blankly. And I am because I'm thinking about something completely irrelevant, like mm. what I'm going to buy from the supermarket. And they honestly think that I'm making some judgment on them or that yeah. I'm thinking. And it's, I have to deal with that all the time. They're like, no, no, no. What are you thinking? Yeah. I'm I- like, literally, I was just thinking about um, how much that DVD is. <laughs> Hello, I'm Pennywise the Clown from Stephen King's It. We're not abusing children or turning into a giant spider. I like to sit in my sewer listening to AnswerMeThisPodcast.com. Are you ready for a story, Helen? Yeah, always. Once upon a time, there's a little boy called Oliver, and he lived in northwest London. Why are all stories about you? <laughs> uh, and Why are you doing it in John Monson's voice? <laughs> and I just found him fascinating. He's killed 14 people and did not show any remorse. And he said to me, you can have any Disney character for breakfast you want. Um, anyway, yes. Uh, and he, he used to be read bedtime stories. Really? He never did he? U- yes. But he never used to be read The Elves and the Shoemaker. What a deprived oh, background he had. Story. Tell us the story, Martin, in Pracy. There's, I think it was a, sh- a shoemaker. Yes, who, that's who, right. Yes. That, that clue's in the title. Oh, yeah, I think we can guess there's some elves in it he as had, well. He had a big commission from the king. Nike. The king of... The king of <laughs> Jones the bootmaker. Prussia. And uh, he couldn't possibly get all the sh- sh- shoes done the next day. And if he didn't, the king of Prussia was going to chop his head off. Okay. So he worked and worked and worked and, and he, he fell asleep. He had all of the shoe bits laid out, but he hadn't had a chance to actually put them together. And when he woke up, all the shoes were made. Right. And this happened a couple of nights in a row. And he, one night he, he pretended to go to sleep, but kept his eyes a bit open. Yeah. And it was all these little elves making, making shoes. But the really nice thing is, so one night, rather than leaving out the shoes for the king or whatever, because he didn't have a job from the king at this point, he made, <laughs> he made tiny, tiny shoes for the elves. So they snuck in thinking they were going to have to make some shoes. And they got some pairs of shoes! Oh, well, thank you for that, Martin. That was beautiful. I'm now, ready for bed now. It's not quite the version that we've read online. <laughs> oh, was that not no, what well, well, Nearly. Well, it's, it's close enough. Was it the King of Prussia? No. No, King, nothing no about kings. kings. No, yeah. no royals. Right. The shoemaker was pretty much flat broke. He only had enough leather for one pair of shoes. So uh, yes. a very different shoemaker to yeah. your shoemaker yeah. is living off royal commission. Super right. successful. Your shoemaker yeah. works with fucking Peter Jones or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this one, he this cut out. Poor. He cut out the one pair of shoes and then dejected, went off to bed, contemplating the suicide pact in his wife were going to make. On the <laughs> when he got up in the morning the shoes were made exquisitely yes. and uh, someone came in and bought them for more than the asking price oh, so he could afford more leather then he could afford more leather so he cut two pairs of shoes and, and left them out rather presumptuously and that night found the shoes to be made again and so after that business started to boom yeah a bit like in uh, Little Shop of Horrors isn't it yeah. yeah what is that strange and beautiful plant I'll take two is that yeah. and then only after ages he and his wife thought who is doing these That's shoes. That's the thing that I found who, unconvincing. Whose labour are we relying on? <laughs> After about 10 days, seemingly, they're like, you know what? We should probably work out who's doing this. You yeah. should have been thinking that on day one. So they they peer and these naked elves arrive, yep. make the shoes and then piss off. So as you say, Martin, they think, well, we should do something nice for the elves. And they make them some tiny clothes and some tiny shoes, even though the elves have proven themselves really capable of making shoes. So I mean, if they wanted some, yeah. they could have made them. And uh, then the elves come and take the clothes and then they're never seen again. But the shoemaker's all right. Okay. Uh, even though he's become a slacker who doesn't make his own shoes anymore. <laughs> Why are we talking about this? 
this again? We're, we're all no up to idea. speed. Okay. No. Right. Everyone yeah. now knows the plot. Two different plot versions but of the album. Essentially the same, right? Basically the same. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, we're mentioning this, Helen, because uh, we've got a question from Andy and Blackheath about the elves and the shoemaker. Well, I should hope it is about that. <laughs> Otherwise, this diversion is completely unreasonable. This is just turned like, into story time. Oh, this is one of those whimsical podcasts where we just talk about whatever's on our minds. <laughs> uh, Andy and Blackheath says, I was recently reading the story of the elves and the shoemaker to my daughter as her bedtime book. Did it include the King of Prussia, Andy? That's the big issue. Uh, when I finished it, I started to think about the moral of the story. Very important. That's right. They're very keen on morals in fairy stories, aren't they? Well, otherwise, what are they for? Fun? I don't think so. <laughs> uh, anyway, Andy has two suggestions for what the moral of the Elves and the Shoemaker may be. I'm keen to hear them. Uh, okay, option number one. Don't give your best workers a big bonus in one go, as they'll piss off and not come back. Mm. It's not really a bonus, though, is it? It's sort of a payment for them having made the shoes for so yeah, long. So, in yeah. fact, it's don't pay your workers or Ever. you'll lose them yeah yeah it's a kind of anti-trade union movement story i, I disagree That's yeah what, i think what's his other choice yeah okay his second option for the moral of the elves and the shoemaker is don't do any work yourself and use child labor uh, mm. to do everything for you as it's cheap and in the end when you've made loads of money you only have to pay them back with tiny little clothes what's the, there's a clear moral to this story what go on Work for the King of Prussia. No, no, no. The moral of the story is when things are really terrible and you're in really dire straits, people will step in to help you. No, they won't. But that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. Yeah, but and, magic- and, and if they do that, you have to reward them and not be a selfish bastard and make but, them tiny shoes. But you see, the usual, <laughs> the usual moral in the fairy tale is that the elves would have seen the shoemaker, even when he was down to his last penny, give away an exquisite pair of shoes to an elderly lady who needed them, go, don't worry, yeah. don't pay me for them. It's fine. The elves would have gone... Oh, mm. let's help him with our supernatural shoemaking ability mm. that we've been saving for this moment. There's nothing in this story to suggest that the shoemaker is particularly deserving of help. He clearly can't run a business to have been in this position. <laughs> yes. He's lazy. He might have just fallen on hard times. Everyone always needs shoes, Martin. The version of the fairy story that I, I read online, I mean, it'd obviously be translated from the German, so some of it was just slightly bad English or arcane <laughs> English. I am not believing in it. <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, but some of it was clearly emphasising uh, the fact that he was an honest businessman and that he was a good-hearted man yeah. and all this. And I, I do think what you say is true to an extent, Martin. I think it is basically if you're a good person, then good things will happen to you, whether it's elves or whether it's karma or whether it's God. But it has that very important message that you can't just take that for granted. If someone helps you, you should help them in return. Yeah, then the elves piss off. Why don't the elves at least say thank you? Because the elves have already They've done days and days and days of free labour. They saved his business. We don't even know if they're getting shares. Yeah, but exactly. Why don't they negotiate a deal with him? Is this becoming some metaphor for the Facebook IPO? <laughs> it's Thank more like is. American Apparel, isn't it? And then they got one of the, the fittest elf to work in the shop front, <laughs> wearing just a pair of leggings and a crop top. The thing with morals in fairy stories yeah. is I actually do quite like it when it's a bit ambiguous like this because mm. the child is perfectly happy to accept it without the moral frankly and yeah. the adult reading the story then does have this conversation and think okay what is this trying to teach us and sometimes it's obvious and sometimes it's not but it's better than I remember I had a book of Aesop's fables when I was a kid I don't know if all books of Aesop's fables are like this but the one I had <laughs> literally at the end of every fable said moral colon slow yeah. and steady wins the race you're yeah. like God, I could at least put some fun yeah. into it. At least, at least they turn to page 61 for the moral and you have to guess moral, whether you got it right. Don't give foxes any grapes. <laughs> exactly. But if you look at a lot of these stories, uh, then the morals are very confusing and not that nice. Like Cinderella, sure, she's nicer than her sisters, mm. but she's being married off to somebody who doesn't know her. 
Hmm. Probably not going to have a great life with him. It's just a different life. That's probably to a better bad improvement to being a to being a trial lady, isn't it? Though I don't know. Is it? Is it? I mean, in Downton Abbey, who's happier, upstairs or downstairs? Well, okay, but you're delving a bit deep here because it's it's her aspiration to marry Prince Charming. The shoemaker just wants to make shoes. Yeah, he, he hasn't really stopped to think what's more important in life. I mean, maybe the elves should have let his business go under and he could have reassessed Yeah, he could where have he done was something really loved. Yeah, if anything, all that's happened, they prolong the agony here. The trouble is that he's now stuck in a successful business. I mean, I suppose he could sell it. I wonder if there were jobs that those elves just didn't go and help out with. Yeah. Like, you know, shoemaking does seem particularly well suited to their tiny little hands. They're probably rubbish lumberjacks. Exactly. If, 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 if instead of being a shoemaker, he'd been... Um, a restaurant tycoon. Yeah. What would the elves have done? They could make Petit Four. Yeah, yeah. You know, the elves would be perfect for property development if the property is dolls' houses. <laughs> they, they could flip dolls' houses, sell them on for profit. <laughs> what else can the elves do after they finished at the shoe shop? Where are they then going to go? Unless, they going to well, next? unless they just mm. specialise in shoes and they go around all the shoe shops in town promoting mm. healthy competition between them. But that's really giving an unfair advantage to shoemakers because they can call on elves for assistance. Unless other fantastical creatures help, but maybe giants help with the people who yeah. make jumpers. Dragons help at barbecues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, though, there's a certain amount of um, uh, sort of worth that people take in a job well done that they've done. Mm. What concerns me about the fact that the shoemaker spent so long before being curious enough to work out who had yeah. been helping them... It's just assuming that everything's going to go right in the night. Well, it's just sort of... Uh, they were just so happy to pass on their work to someone else mm. in this very cavalier Outsourcing way. Outsourcing is a dangerous business. Exactly. I think this is a good lesson for kids. No. I mean, uh, you know, in a way... If we went to sleep now, you wake up in the morning and some elves have edited this podcast. Oh, God, I can't, I can't <laughs> sacrifice the control. Well, exactly. Like, in a way, it would be very satisfying, but you couldn't absolutely trust that they'd done it to your standard. And that, I'm afraid, is all we have for you this week, That's listeners. it. We're done. We're finished. Suffice to say that if you want more next week, then please send us your questions. Feed us your questions. Yum, yum, yum. Via phone, <laughs> Skype, email. All of our contact details are, of course, listed on our website. Answermethispodcast.com Where you can also uh, find links to our Jubilee album. It's the best way to celebrate the Queen's very special day. Um, <laughs> Apart from mounting a coup and dethroning <laughs> the royals. Um, uh, and there's a, a link to a competition I'll be running over the summer. Ooh. It's a science songwriters competition. It's aimed at people who are 18 or younger at school. And uh, it's for people who want to write a song about science. Uh, and the prize is to go to the Green Man Festival. It's a good prize to go to it the Green Man prize. Festival. They have really nice food there. They do, yeah. Mm. Yeah, and it's very pretty. And they have all those wasps that attacked Holly Man last year, but don't let that put you off. <laughs> They're famous wasps now. There's a plaque there where we recorded that podcast. There's a, a wasp that has been living off that anecdote all <laughs> year. He's actually uh, playing one of the smaller stages this year. <laughs> so get going with that if you're under 18 and you like writing songs and you're into science. And, and you want to be like Martin. <laughs> to be that's, like Martin. That's a very small corner of a very large uh, diagram. The other 98% of you <laughs> 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 do be in touch with your questions and we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye.